0: Ow, ow, ow. Ow. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC London. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to one hundred dollars on your first deposit. Producer Megan on the sticks, Cody Sapsic on the line. Paul Shag with Shuey uh Arsenal in hand. I mean it, it didn't take very long to real uh, to realize that I was going to be drinking on this episode there Cody. Uh what first combo Chelsea Chandler's running away and I was just like all right, get the boot ready, kid, because uh, you're, you're going to work. Uh, it was hilarious. I didn't actually have any money on Chelsea Chandler. Thank God we had a shoe. He It gave me an active interest in the fight without having to actually cost me real money. But, yeah, it was hilarious. It wasn't even remotely close. And props to anybody on Big Norm because mine— See, I got so used to betting Big Norm— at, like, he's your plus,
1: girl. That's why I got you. At like,
0: plus money and all of this stuff. That's just like when I saw minus next to her name, I was just like, whoa, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. But, like, she looked like minus 400, minus 1,000, frankly, in that fight. Uh, Chelsea Chandler, the only thing she won was potentially the stare down backstage.
1: No, I disagree. I thought Big Norm had this win in the stare down. She like was speaking in Portuguese, which sounds way more threatening, and she was giving it right back. Like She wasn't playing no Chelsea Chandler games. I thought I had you right there. But uh, yeah, again, Big Norm was like Paul's prospect. He backs her, and you know what? I, I, you can see steady improvements out of her. She's like the real only natural 45er in the division currently, so expect some like fast track to the title. And as far as the UFC's concerned, if Ronda actually was to come back, I don't think she's gonna. But If she came back, and it was at 145. Yeah, I think you could do, like, her versus Misha Tate. Her versus Holly would have made sense until Holly lost. And then, of course, of course, her versus Big Norm. That'll sell, man. That'll sell. Put that on a poster. Trust me. It'll sell.
0: Yeah, Rousey coming back. I mean, this is the time to come back. Amanda's gone. So, um, that's, I feel like, I, I don't know if she'll come back. She'll probably come back for, like, a fight or two. It's like, are they going to put a belt on her? I think they'll just cash in it'll be like elon versus like zuckerberg where it's just like we're just trying to cash we're just trying to cash in some pay-per-view buys here like i don't know if this is a long-term thing but uh, would you
1: would you rather pay francis and ganu 10 million 10 million dollars for a fight or ronda rousey 8 million for a fight like i'm thinking that everybody knows who ronda rousey is francis i don't know kind of a fringe thing is, is Ronda
0: as big of a deal these days, though? Like, I don't, I don't know. Not I don't, to me. I don't watch wrestling, so grander, I I'm, I'm you know. out of the loop, to be perfectly honest. Right.
1: Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. To me, I never hear about her, but I think she's staying active in her wrestling circles, and pro wrestling is way bigger than MMA. I don't it like is. it. I don't want to believe it, but it's way bigger than MMA. All right.
0: Well, we have 15 fights to get into, so pitter-patter, let's get at her, and then we'll, uh,
1: we'll get into the show. How's that sound? Sounds good. Yeah, 15 fights. I don't know if the UFC is just planning on a bunch of people not getting their visas in time or, like, what the case is. But Ooh. back in the day, Paul Paul and I have been doing the show for nine years, right? The UFC used to hit you with, like, an eight or nine fight card. Tape studying it, pretty easy. Then eventually they moved to the 10 fight cards, the 11 fight cards, the 12 fight cards. And now, like, the norm is these 13, 14 fight cards. And you'll tape study a fight. It'll get canceled. Waste of time. But to tape study 15 fights, man, it's like, holy crap. So when people are like, go yellow fake picks. It's like... Yeah, I do, but it's not as if I spend any time on LFA stuff because there's just not enough time. So anyways, we're coming off a good week, so hopefully we can keep that coming. Yeah. And by the way, Tote Master, Paul Shaughnessy, I see you, dog. I see you. You had a bad start, but you are good climbing up the rankings
0: i'm lurking in the shadows and frankly lurking if like, you're if basi- just
1: out of a paid position but you're hanging right outside that paid position you know
0: and i actually i you know me i take dog shots all the time so it's like on that i had basil hefez and i had uh tyson nam who i think jdm won don't get me wrong but it's like basil at plus 400 was definitely like yeah, the value the in that fight like he held his own at the very least i thought it was you know, rounds two and rounds three for JDM. And I didn't, like, when it went to the scorecards, I didn't expect to win whatsoever. I mean, I've seen crazier scorecards handed out before. But it's like, if those two guys come through, watch out. I'm like, I'm lurking. I'm lurking in the <laughs> shadows now. making my <laughs> know, way up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that we mention yeah. it, though, 15 fights on this card, it's like, this is probably where I go back to obscurity in Toutmaster. All right, let's move on. To the fights, we got Tom Aspinall taking on Marching Tabora minus four seventy five for Tom, plus three seventy five for Tabora. I mean, if that knee injury didn't happen, I would kind, of, I would think that this price was justified. Tom Aspinall is the much better prospect. Um, got great jujitsu, obviously super super fast, particularly in the first like seven and a half minutes of his fights. The guy's a stud. He's got all of the skill. He's still s- super young and developing and all of that. But it's like you hang almost minus 500 next to his name. I get really, really tentative about the situation. Now, I think he would be coming back to this spot. I, wouldn't, I don't think he would be coming back to this spot if his body wasn't ready. But, I mean, from a betting perspective, I kind of feel like this is dog or pass. Uh, I took a little bit. Very very small bet of Marcin Tybura plus 380. I'm prepared to look really really dumb. Like I think Aspinall very very likely comes out and absolutely flatlines him. It's not even remotely close. We're in front of the London crowd. He always gets jazzed up for that. Don't get me wrong, but I mean it's priced like there is no doubt there. And uh, my big concern is that knee injury was looked pretty brutal. It's heavyweight, heavyweight volatility. Back in the day, we used to always just, like, if you got, like, a plus 400 heavyweight, we used to just take it. Or at least I used to just take it. And it's worked out historically. It's just, like, these guys are big boys. They hit hard. You know, what if he, you know, if Ty kicks his leg one time and all of a sudden he buckles? Like, I wouldn't be stunned um do I think Tom Aspinall wins yes but because of the injury I think the value side is Ty Bora so I took a small shot um that I fully anticipate that I will lose but uh I don't know in terms of like a pick who I would think would like win it would obviously be uh Tom Aspinall in terms of like when you factor in betting lines I think it's a dog or pass situation what's your take here
1: Yeah, I'm going to agree with a lot of those points, man. When you have heavyweights, especially, it's a very volatile division with a lot of unpredictability. So taking a big plus money heavyweight, sure, anything can happen. Then you factor in on top of that, Tom Aspinall coming off the knee injury. But more importantly to me, Tom Aspinall's not really fought beyond a round, maybe two rounds. So he's coming off a knee injury. Don't know where his cardio's at. Prior to that 15 second fight with Curtis Blades, is a first round knockout win over Alex, or sorry, first round submission over Volkov. Just dope. Pig win, don't get me wrong. But a first round submission, the first round knockout of Spivak, second round submission of Andre Orlovsky in a fight that he was gassed out in, and a fight uh, Alan Bodo, first round finish. So his career has mostly been first round finishes. He's got he- big power, former heavyweight pro boxer, sparred with Tyson Fury, big boy. He can hit you, he can put you to sleep. He's also a BJJ black belt, low key, dope submissions, and a solid wrestling base as well. So the guy's extremely well-rounded for a heavyweight. Moves very agile for a heavyweight, a lot of speed there. And he's only 30 years old, which at at heavyweight, he's just a baby. You said he's the better prospect. He's the only prospect. It's not like Tybura is a prospect. It's that we expect big things from Tom Aspinall, and he's going on there and he's taking on a gatekeeper. So we all agree that we'd like him. And and the way that uh, the market used to be a few years ago, this fight would only be a minus 300. But because everybody likes him and everybody wants to take a stab, I don't know that how much money is on them. They just, they scare you away. They scare you away with this minus 500 price tag. So if you were to use them on a PRP and put them at the top, then it's an easy hedgeo for Tybura just because there's so much plus money available on him. But, but I'm thinking, and this is not how you hedge out, but, but I'm thinking the key here, if you're just looking to bet this fight is you live bet it after the first round. Cause if he sleeps Tybura, which is infinitely possible, Tybura is seven and one in the last four years, hasn't been knocked out. hasn't been finished in four years but we have seen him get knocked out we have seen him get beat up before i think tom aspinall could finish him this thing gets in the second round and aspinall's huffing and puffing Tiburo's is more of a decision guy he's fought a tons of three-round fights not five rounds He's been to three rounds a bunch. So he was getting his ass kicked by Greg Hardy. He was getting touched up by Walt Harris. He just waited for them to tire out, not knock him out, and then he came back on. So you're looking at a really nice plus money tag on him right now, but you're going to get a way better plus money price tag on him if he's getting his ass kicked in the first round, manages to survive. Aspinall's looking good, and then who knows what happens beyond that. So if I was looking at, to bet uh, if I was looking to bet Marcin Tybura, I think I'd be looking at the live market. But I just can't quite get there. And on something like Toutmaster, you know, you're chasing points, but it's only mid-season. It's a little Mm -hmm. after mid-season. Like, I'm not not chasing the points quite yet, so I would take a Tom Aspinall here, and I am going to take Tom Aspinall here. Don't know if I end up putting him on the top ticket, an option, but if I had three or four lines in play coming into the main event, a greasy, heavyweight main event with one guy just blew his knee out 15 seconds into a fight, takes a year off, and hasn't been outside of the first round in a while, may have cardio issues in a five-round fight, comeback fight headlining. It's a big spot, a lot of pressure, a lot of uncertainty. So I would probably hedge out if I get it that far and he was on the top ticket. But because there's 15 fights, I don't feel like I need to put it on the top. I feel like I can work some of the better fights on there.
0: That's fair. That's all, all fair, all makes sense. Even on Taumaster, I haven't even like, decided what I'm going to do um, on there. Uh, moving on. We got Molly, Meatball McCann, taking on Julia Stoliarenko. Minus 190 for McCann. Plus 165 for Stinko. Um, you know me. I've been like looking at like all the different books. Open up Stinko sub. Cause I feel like if she's gonna get it done, that's how she's gonna get it done. She's gonna wrestle, she's gonna find a submission. Uh, Meatball's arms are pretty short, so maybe the arm bar won't be, uh, wouldn't be too, too easy. Um, but I, I feel like her path is pretty clear. Um, if she's going to win this fight, it's going to be kind of overwhelming with her grappling advantage early on in this fight. If this fight stays standing, Molly, maybe it gets a little bit rough in the first little bit, but Molly's super, super tough. She does really well in front of this uh, hometown crowd. Typically, if it goes to decision it's going to be hard to win a decision in London um, against Molly Meatball McCann. It's like sub or bust for Stoli Oranco, And the best option out on the market right now is like plus 350. It's like I wanted, I was hoping somebody would be generous out there. Any bookies, if you're actually listening to us right now, if you give me a plus 500, I'll, I'll make my donation to Stinko Sub. But otherwise, it's going to be a big time pass for me. But I think Molly Meatball McCann... Out volumes, out toughs, uh, uh, Solar Ranko. She just has to avoid getting taken down and subbed in this fight. And plus 350 is the best on the market. You're not getting my money right now. If you want to just take my money away from me, give me a plus 500 and the money's yours. I, I mean, I, I, I'm being a little bit conceited, probably thinking that like bookmakers are like watching our show right now, but uh, yeah, McCann, McCann. F- Maybe a McCann late finish is in play. Um, I mean, the Orenko fight against Chelsea Chandler looks pretty bad, right? It's like she had a little bit of success early and then, like, just absolutely fell off of a cliff. That being said, now, you know, we're back at 125 pounds, which is a more natural weight class for her. She was giving up a lot of size against Chelsea Chandler. But, like, there was a lot of if her tricks don't work, she's kind of looking for the door going on in that fight and then we see chelsea chandler get absolutely smacked around by by your girl big norm last week so i totally understand the line i can understand there was like molly was a much bigger favorite and the it's it's definitely tightened there was like plus 300s out there on stolio like a few days ago um so yeah i understand why it's like shortening but in London, I think it's going to be a tough ask for Stoliorenko to get the job done here. Outside of a submission and the prop is a little bit too short for my liking. So, meatball for me, what about you?
1: So, I might be falling into some type of trap and I'm going to get hit with like a Julia Stolyarenko first round armbar here, but I think this is an absolute setup for Molly McCann to go out there and roll. Why else would Julia Stolyarenko, who the kids called Stoliostenko, why would she be in a co-main event, Paul? She's 1-5 in five in the UFC. The one win, Jesse Jess Rose Clark. Jesse Jess Rose Clark has since retired because of a terrible losing streak. Like Stolja Ranko just hasn't shown anything. 67% takedown defense, striking, you know, got some power, I think. Uh, I thought she could take a hell of a punch. She'd done some left way over in Burma for a little while. But seeing that last fight with Chelsea Chandler, just demolish her in the first round. Catchway of 140, I get it. I just don't think you can get behind her. Molly McCann, meanwhile, I don't think she's a super hyped prospect by no stretch, and she's lost her fair share of fights, but the UFC likes her. Marketing machine likes her. Barstool Sports is behind her. She had that Patty Pimlet effect. She's super popular in the UK. The card's in the UK. They've thrown her in as the co-main event. Now, she's coming off a tough loss to Aaron Blanchfield, but who wouldn't be? Aaron Blanchfield's an absolute monster, so... I don't falter. I don't falter all that much. I think she comes back here remotivated, hopefully remotivated, because she's given some concerning interviews in the past. But if she comes in here, this is set up for her to get that win, get her confidence going again, and then see if they can make a quick buck off her by having her fight one of these actual contenders. But set up, fight as far as I'm concerned. So I think she mauls her. And I'm minus 220 to women's MMA. I get Pat would probably advise me against it. And I, who knows what's going to happen? Probably a first round armbar bar loss for me. But I, I think she rolls her up here. So sign me up for Meatball McCann.
0: All right, we got uh, Nathaniel Wood taking on Andre Touchy-Feely. Nathaniel Wood, a minus-190 favorite. Feely can be had for plus-165. Your thoughts?
1: Yeah, this is a really good fight. It's a really good fight, but I think Nathaniel Wood, again, they're, he's an all-action fighter. They want him to have an all-action fight in the UK, take a winnable fight, and move on. And when you look at, certainly, the fighting style, he's going to have two things going for him. One, I think he's got superior wrestling offense over Andre Feely, Force a scramble. Feely, yeah, he's at a team alpha male. Yeah, he does know how to wrestle. But you see him when he faces actual wrestlers, guys like Bryce Mitchell, Just gives up seven takedowns, ragdoll pillar to post. I feel like Nathaniel Wood not going to do the same thing, not the level of wrestler or grappler of a Bryce Mitchell, but he likes to mix in the takedowns into almost all of his fights. You saw five takedowns in his last outing. He's good at kind of mixing that in, and I think that'll be another key here. But to me, it's the volume, dude. Volume all day long. So... Uh, again, all-action fighter. These are the last four fights for Nathaniel Wood. He, he, he hits 97 significant strikes landed against uh, Charles Jourdain and the five takedowns, 97 significant strikes against Charles Rosa, 136 against Casey Kinney, 131 versus John Cassidy right? So he's put up 131, 136, 97, 97 in his last four fights. 98 is the most that andre feely's ever landed in his Mm -hmm. entire ufc career it's three or four years ago and paul he goes to decision all the time and puts up between 30 40 maybe 50 he's a super low volume guy now nathaniel wood doesn't have a great chin but i think a lot of that was him making 145 because you'd see those pictures of him online looks like he's dead before he even gets on the scale and then proceeds to get knocked out in a fight Part of me would attribute that to these bad weight cuts. Now that he's up at 155, a little bit stronger. Sorry, now that he's up at 145 from 135, a little bit stronger, a little bit more filled out. And I feel like he's got enough size that he can carry it over. If he can take those one shot, two shots from Andre Feely that he throws at a time, then he should just be able to walk them down, uh, constant volume, throw combinations, land the chopping low kick, and then mix in takedowns along the way. This should be a clear cut 30-27 across the board. So, uh nathaniel wood and and like want to say he's one of my one more confident picks on the card because i believe he is but part of me does think you know it's mma and he doesn't have a great chin but I, I keep telling myself this new weight class thing is gonna be the the key and even though he gets hit a lot you have to throw a lot in order to hit him a lot and Feely make it sucked into a war but i think if he opens up with the striking it's going to lead to him getting taken down from nathaniel wood will time something and also should you know, historically, he's not going to keep pace with a guy that can land 110, 120. He's never done it. He's fought the UFC like 20 times. So you got to go with Nathaniel Wood here.
0: Yeah, I total agreement, to be perfectly honest. I think it comes down to volume. I mean, if you look through like who Andre Fili has knocked out, okay, like back in the day, back in 2015, so many, like so many years ago, he knocked out uh, Gabriel years, Benitez, yeah. which is like, okay, that's, that's a really good one. It was like a perfectly placed head kick and uh, followed up with punches. Other than that, it was Shaman and since just like you know, he's over in PFL showing pretty significant durability issues over there. Otherwise, he doesn't really knock anybody out. So, I think it's a pretty good match. It's a pretty good situation for Wood. As you mentioned, wrestling or offensive wrestling advantage in this fight can probably keep it standing if he wants to. Um, but yeah, it's gonna come down to volume. That's why over on prize picks, promo code DOP, um the 76 and a half significant strikes. I'm I'm expecting Nathaniel Wood, Nathaniel Wood by decision here. And 76.5 seems very, very passable for him. Like he could mm. clear that in the first two rounds, to be perfectly honest. Like if he wins, if he wins a decision. I'm expecting them to get at least upwards of 100 significant strikes here. So, like that side. And then, yeah, would by decision is like plus 120 out there on the market. I don't mind that. I think that's a half-decent bet. May make my card. I'm not entirely sure. We move on. We've got Andre Muniz taking on Paul Bearju Minus 230 for Muniz, plus 200. For Craig. Craig coming down from 205 pounds to 185 pounds. I mean, getting absolutely pounded out by Johnny Walker, I suppose, will do that to you. I never really thought he was, like, undersized at 205, but his style kind of needs him to be able to manhandle people. It's like you can't really just always just flop to your back and hope that people like Nikita Krylov will enter your guard, which, I mean... Yeah, I mean, it happened with Krylov, but um, he, he doesn't. He hadn't had the wrestling to really get the fight to the mat where he's strongest. Um, so I think big, big, big thing here is, and we we've talked about it for many, many years on this show, is like that cut. Like people who come down from uh from two hundred five to one eighty five, it's twenty pounds. Like it's an enormous cut. So it's like. If you liked Paul Craig, it's like, I would wait until weigh-ins because it's always very difficult for just about everybody. But facts being facts, I can't think of, like, a worse matchup for him on the roster than Andre Muniz. It's like most of Paul Craig's skills are going to be negated um, against a far superior jiu-jitsu guy in Muniz. Um, I've never really loved Paul Craig's striking. I suppose he... Did had some success against Shogun Hua um, in one of their fights there. But I think Muniz Muniz absolutely rolls here. Um, I just think it's a really bad matchup and big-time question marks on Paul Craig's ability to make 185 pounds. We'll see, I guess, on Friday.
1: Yeah, well, the drop from 205 to 185 has always been tough because it's a 20-pound cut, right? Like all these other weight classes, you can get away with a 10-pound cut. An additional 10 pound cut but yeah yeah i mean if this is something that he can do why didn't he do it a long time ago because it's not like getting knocked out by johnny walker to do that to you. he's been knocked out plenty of times right 205 has always seen like this class where his wrestling's not good enough to get them to the ground his striking ain't good enough to stand with them so he has to hope that he gets dropped that they carelessly jump on top of him and then he's money in the bank you know krylov jumps on top of him he puts him away Ankalayev is absolutely dominating him for the entire fight and gets caught with one second left on the clock. He's got a ton of legitimate wins from illegitimate situations. Like, it's not, can't say he didn't earn it because, oh boy, oh boy, did he earn it. But it's mostly him getting his ass kicked and then hitting for pay dirt. Now, the first Shogun fight, you're right, comes out, striking looked crazy. That's the only fight his striking's really ever looked any, any what but decent versus a way past due Mauricio Shogun Hua. And keep this in mind, Paul. These are his striking numbers landed in fights. He landed three against Johnny Walker, 33 against Volkan, and it went to decision. Two against Nikita Krylov, 23 against Jamal Hill, who he won't be, you know, like against very credible wins. 29 in the rematch versus Shogun, uh, two against uh, Gazmura Antigulov, and then Shogun, 51, that fight took place four years ago. he had landed 51. It's a career high for him. 31 of those 51 occurred in the first round where he kicked the crap out of him to the tune of a 10-8 round. The second and the third round, he landed 10. You know, he landed 20, sorry, between the next two rounds. Like, his cardio's not that good. His striking's not something he can fall back on. And his wrestling's not good enough to get the fights to the ground. So he's just always had that jiu-jitsu as an ace in his back pocket. Guy caught Krylov. Guy caught Hill. Guy caught Ankalaev. He can eventually one day retire and say, I beat two former champions if Ankalaev goes out and wins it. Or if Hill comes back, or whatever the case is. He's got credible wins, catching them. I don't know that catching Andre Mooney's is on the table, but then again, a lot of people didn't think Brandon Allen would submit him either. So Mm kind of gives you some like question, some, some pause for concern. It's MMA. Anything can happen. Maybe he hits him with something. Maybe he can pull into some deeper waters. I don't know. Maybe it could happen. But my train of thought is exactly like yours. We got to go with what we do know, not the what ifs. It's what we do know. And what we know about Muniz is that his jiu-jitsu is just better, you know? He's like a third-degree uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He's not just submitted guys that had weak grappling games. He like submitted Jacques Souza. Like, the guy can definitely grapple, okay? His cardio, not very good. But neither is Paul Craig. So, you know, maybe a bit of a, a pass there. It comes down to the striking. If this is two jiu-jitsu guys that end up being a striking battle... Craig's not going to put up any type of volume. I just don't think he does. Whereas Mooney's not much of a striker himself, but I thought he looked vastly improved against Brandon Allen. He spent the majority of those three rounds on his feet trying to strike with him. Combinations looked a little bit better. Of course, he's younger, and he's just going to throw that like ever slow slight bit more offense, I think. He's a natural middleweight. He'll have the better weight cut, I think. The fight does hit the ground because Paul Craig's not very hard to take down. Mooney's on top is an absolute problem. Brandon Allen can wrestle. Brandon Allen can scramble. Brandon Allen trains at Kill Cliff FC. Yeah, Paul Craig, not so much. If you want him down, he's going down. So I, I, I side with the superior skill set, and it belongs to Andre Muniz, and that's the bet.
0: Yeah, and uh, Muniz, takedowns, 1.5. Don't mind the over there, to be perfectly honest. I think Craig can probably survive a little bit down there with him if the fight goes to the mat. Maybe, maybe it just takes place on the feet. That's why I say I like, but don't love it. Um, I'll be adding it to some tickets, but it's not some so, sort of lock, stock, lock um that uh, that we got here. All right, moving on down. We got Ferris Zayam taking on Jai Herbert. Ferris Zayam is a minus one sixty favorite. Jai Herbert can be had for plus one forty. I mean, I kind of think these guys are relatively similar. I mean, Ferris I am, I suppose, last time out against Michael Figlock showed off that it's like he's been working a lot on his wrestling. Is that what's factored into this line? Because I feel like, you know, Jai Herbert, his best moment in the UFC was Almost finishing Ilya Topuria like that was landed a big shot. We're in England in front of his hometown fans. Kind of surprised he's the underdog. I thought this was going to be closer to a pick'em. To be perfectly honest, I kind of see these guys relatively similarly, and I definitely would have seen them very very similarly up until the Figelak fight, where Ziam showed that he's got a little bit of a uh, little bit of grappling that he's been working on. Maybe he mixes that in. Maybe he uses the wrestling takes Hibert, uh herbert down and then neutralizes him there but uh yeah UK crowd uh, the scorecards have historically been sometimes a little bit uh a little bit slanted there you got a frenchman taking on an englishman in england i don't know even if it goes if it goes to decision if anything's relatively close Who's the crowd cheering for? Probably Jai Herbert. I think a plus 140 can do a lot worse uh, in an underdog than Jai Herbert, who also has a two-inch reach advantage. It's like usually fair as I am is like the longer of the two fighters. He is not in this situation. So, yeah, it's Jai Herbert uh, for me. I haven't bet him yet, but I've been looking at it. wanted to talk to you before I throw some money down on it. What's your take here?
1: Yeah, yeah, very similar to you. I think prior to seeing the Michael Figlak fight, I probably would have been foolish enough to write off Faraz I Am, but man, I actually like this kid. He comes out of, a you know, a, a wicked good gym, you know, Fight Factory Paris. He's trained with, obviously he hasn't trained with the likes of Francis Ngannou and Sril Gan, it's just that he's been in the same program, right? He's had the same coaches. He's had the same, you know, mentorship. And he was super young when he came to the UFC. So if you look at his run, his fight with Don Madge, it... God awful fight, god awful fight. But he's like 23 years old. His fight with Jamie Malarkey, a lot of people think Jamie Malarkey won. I thought Jamie Malarkey won. I bet Jamie Malarkey. So, of course, I thought he won. But like Faraz, I am dog walks in the first two rounds. It beats the crap out of him. He's only 24 years old, 23, 24 at the time, right? Tall stance, Muay Thai guy. As a result, wrestling is no good. Gives up five takedowns. That's what made it a close fight. Seven to 20 and actually got a takedown of his own. So, there's something there. His fight with Luigi Vendramini, uh, the third round, he almost gets finished. He gets he's tired. He's no good. But the first two rounds, there's something there. His fight with Terrence McKinney, he looked awful. He got subbed in two minutes. And the UFC actually cut him. They released him, 2-2 two and two in the promotion. Because they were going to uh, France, it was like the first show in France, Ivasa versus Gaon, that they were like, well, we need some local French guys. And then they signed him back, back like a one-fight deal. Comes in on a one-fight deal against Michael Lack and look good man he could see that the wrestling was there and that gym right, they got a lot of strong wrestlers and this kid's getting better comes from a muay thai base but getting better now still only 26 years old and you can see the improvements fight to fight but there was big improvements between his last loss to McKinley who he got blown out of the water and a fight with Figlack where his cardio looked good he put up good numbers landed 61 significant strikes but had to wrestle for the most part and had beat a previously unbeaten uh, undefeated prospect who was like 3-1 to favorite over him. So, solid victory. Now you give that kid more time to develop. Still only 26. Like, I'm expecting some good things out of him. Jay Herbert, meanwhile, he's 34. He's almost 10 years older than this kid. And he throws up generally, most of his fights are finished. It's hard to say he doesn't have much volume, even though he's not landing a whole lot of shots in these fights. It's that they generally land inside the distance. His fight with Francisco Trinaldo knocked down the third. And he was doing good in that fight. His fight with Hanato Moikano, he got absolutely killed, not even competitive. His fight with Kamal Worthy, done in the first. Fight with Ilya Taporia, he almost ended him in the first. Nasty head kick folds him over. Taporia gets up and knocks him out in the second. It's his fight with Kyle Nelson, he looked awful. Awful needed a, a hometown decision on that one to get by. He's tired out, low striking. Maybe there's some big flash of this big power here and there. But why this guy's actually been effective is because he's six foot one and has a 77 inch reach. And that's something most opponents haven't dealt with. But for us I am also six foot one, has a 75 inch reach, similar, pretty close. And I think that he's just gonna have the volume, he can take the shots, he's got better cardio, and I really don't see him getting taken down. Maybe gets taken down, but Jai Herbert's not really a wrestler, and I feel like this kid's been working on his game a lot. So yeah, it's in the UK, but I think the French kid's going to put a beating on him to the tune that the judges will get it right.
0: All right, well, moving on down, we got Larone Murphy taking on Josh Coolabout. <clears throat> Larone Murphy is a minus one thirty favorite. Coolabout can be had for plus one ten. Who you got here?
1: Yeah, this is another one i got to go with. Uh, well, this one I will go with the local Englishman, Lerone Murphy, in hopes that if it ends up being a close decision, they give it to him. That was kind of the case his last time I with Gabriel Santos. He got overpowered by a guy that uh, f- ended up losing his next fight. But all the same, you know, I think surprised him. Very physically strong. Cardio ended up being a lot better took Lerone Murphy into those deeper waters and Murphy got taken down five times. He had to work his way back up. He had to find a way. But even though he got taken down and controlled and gave up his back a few times, still put up killer numbers, man. 93 significant strikes landed. Cardio looked a little bit flip floppy, but his desire to continue in the fight is good. He had good heart. He continued with it. He wasn't giving up. He wasn't quitting on himself. Whenever he'd get put in a bad position, he'd do the best that he could to overcome it. Late in the fight, he's trying to put him away. He's trying to do his best and he ends up winning a split decision. I think what you see out of Murphy is a whole lot of inactivity in in that he's not the busiest guy in the division. He's not the busiest guy in the UFC. He'll only fight once, twice a year. But there's some solid stuff there. There's a lot of uh, well-roundedness. His striking's pretty good, pretty accurate. And, of course, you've seen in his last fight, can put up a little bit of volume. Lacking some of that natural power... But still, he's going to land flush, good accuracy, nasty jab on him. I think that'll win you rounds. His wrestling, pretty good. Yeah, he just got taken down five times. But he's getting thrown around like a sack of potatoes. And again, exploding back up. Getting put in bad spots, exploding back up. Trying to work his way back up. He's got wins over Macwan and Americana, Douglas, De Silva, Indraj, Ricardo Ramos. All of those are actually decent level of opposition. So I think there's a lot going on for him cool meanwhile has never been impressed with them just can take a shot can give a shot but there's not i went, not enough there for me to consider him an actual striker like a striking specialist wrestling meanwhile he's been relying on his wrestling a lot more recently he's been trying to grapple a lot more recently but the level of opposition it's low right Melsek beg well we know Melsek can't grapple he can strike and he was out striking cool But in the second round, he just topples on top of him and he takes his back and chokes him out. He's fight with Sungo Choi. Sungo Choi, not the highest level of of, of, opposition. Shailen Numbriaki, same thing. He can defeat those guys. He can throw up with those guys. He had a good fight with Charles Jourday. I'm not saying he's, you know, a low-level opposition. I think he's like a mid-low-level. He's got better wrestling. If he does get taken down, he'll get back up. He's not giving up a rear-naked choke to Kulabow. So he's just gonna chip away and beat him, and, and the line's pretty reasonable. So I will take, take Lerone Murphy at home to get the job done.
0: Yeah, like if Gabriel Santos got the win against Onama, and it's like that fight was pretty competitive up until the finish. Obviously, it's like I feel like Lerone Murphy that because he lost to Onama, who is actually a really really good prospect, I feel like Lerone Murphy's kind of getting disrespected in this spot. I've never been a cool about guy either. I'm kinda of surprised by like the line movement this week. I think Koulibal hits really, really hard, but the volume, it's like if he doesn't knock you out, if he doesn't stun you, he's got good jujitsu if he does and, and can capitalize. He's a half decent finisher, I suppose. But it's like if he doesn't, the volume's super, super low. On top of that, we're we're in England. It's you know, <laughs> we've already seen LaRoe Murphy get kind of a hometown home cooking type of decision minus 130 seems very very fair for Lerone Murphy so he's a guy that I've had circled um heading into this and somebody who's going to be making my card this week as well all right moving on down we've got Daniel Marcos taking on Davey Grant minus 144 Marcos plus 120 for Davey Grant
1: who you got here yeah, this one got announced, and I'm low-key thinking I'm super smart. I'm like, Daniel Marcos doesn't have a whole lot of experience in the UFC. He's now going over to the UK, and he's taking on Davy Grant, a former Ultimate Fighter veteran, a guy that's fought in a decent level of competition, a guy that has a win over half at LaSuncao by submission in his last fight, has a razor-close fight with Marlon Vera. Davy Grant... Is going to be the favorite. Davy Grant might be a decent sized favorite. And low key, I'm going to sneak in the back door with this Daniel Marcos play. And the line drops. It's like minus 130 Marcos. Confused, confused. But at the same time, I get it because I was thinking I was going to bet on myself. Davy Grant can win this fight. He's got big power. He's got obviously a good submission game. He's got uh, you know, heart, durability, yeah, it's there, but you see him get flash knocked down a lot. You see him take some some damage here and there. He can get beat up, but again, someone that's going to fight for your dollar. It says not a whole lot of volume, Paul. There's, there's not a whole lot of uh, you know, grit. A lot of these fights, he'll win, but there's these moments of just lapses in judgment by him. As far as his streak's concerned, you know, he has a split decision win over Gregory Popov. I thought he should have been unanimous, sure, but at least one judge thought it was close enough to give it to Popov. Martin Day, Martin Day knocked him down, and this thing's 1-1 going into the third before Davy Grant sealed the deal. Not the greatest fight against him. Jonathan Martinez also knocked him down, won the first round. Davey makes that second round comeback. His fight with Adrian Yanes, you know, he started off really good. In fact, that is a really good fight. But down the stretch, you know, Yanes pulls away, starts landing those big combinations. Sometimes you get, in, you see him get knocked down. Sometimes you see him eat hundred clean shots from Adrian Yanes and live to tell the tale. But again, it's that this is not someone that's fighting a complete game for the most part. All of his fights, he takes damage. All of his fights, he's getting work. And then yet he can pull a rabbit out of a hat. If he doesn't do that against this much younger, hungry durable South American fighter, then he's going to have some problems on his hand. Even in his Lewis Smolka fight, drops the second, uh, drops the second it's 1-1 one, one going into third, and he melts him. And then his fight with Half-Ella Sunset, yeah, of course, huge inverted triangle choke win to, to put him away, but has lost the first two rounds in that fight. So he is 37, he's been around the block, he knows he's got big power, and I feel like he just waits on that big power ever so slightly. And then as I say that, if you go back and watch the Giannis fight, what well, he comes out like a barn, uh, you know, a barn on fire. There comes out a guy definitely has the desire to go out there and fight and fights a hard fifteen and puts up some good volume as well. So which version of Grant are you gonna get? I'm not so sure. But what I like about this Marco's kid is that he comes forward, and he mixes it up, and he likes to throw. He likes to he likes to engage his opponents. He's got solid striking. I wouldn't say it's great by any stretch, but you know he's willing to take a punch to give a punch. And I think like he just outworks Davy Grant. He Davy probably got a slight power advantage. Can maybe hit him and put him away. Davy might have you know a bit of a grappling advantage that can use here and there. But the kid's undefeated, so it's well, I shouldn't say kid. He's like 30, but he's undefeated so it's hard to say like where is he weakest now again he hasn't had big fights he hasn't had that big experience but i got him at plus money in his debut against simon Oliveira, a much lower level of opposition than this and the kid go out there and he, he put it on right he performed well so I feel like he can beat davy grant and i feel like i'm leaning towards him if, if i had to just chalk it up to a dogger pass situation davy grant plus 115 you could do worse but I just don't know if i'm going to get there personally
0: I don't really understand the Marcos. Like I, I bet Marcos last time against Simon Oliveira who was plus 120 underdog. I bet him on Contender Series cuz I was fading Johnny cuz I just faded Johnny on every single pick on Contender Series. There was no there was no research or anything having to go there. That was just like a little cu- cultural thing I was doing at the time. So I've been on him. I I've, I've I've appreciated what he's done, but it's like Davey Grant goes in there against the same names that you're talking about. It's like Adrian Yanez, like, the significant strikes there are 100 to 98. Like, it was a close competitive fight. Taking Mm -hmm. on Marlon Vera, who's, like, in title contention. Like, he's, like, right at the top of the board, top five opponent, the bantamweight, which is one of the most stacked divisions in the world. Um, Factor in the fact that we're bringing a Peruvian kid over to the U.K. to fight in front of a U.K. crowd at a strange time of day. Um against a, a hometown favorite, um, submitting Rafael Assunta, who is a bit long in the tooth, don't get me wrong, but it's like, what does Davey Grant need to do to get a little bit of respect? <laughs> I think this is very, very clearly dogger pass. Maybe, maybe Marcos is the absolute truth. He's obviously 14-0, and 0, but it's like the books didn't give him any sort of respect until he, until he finishes Simon Oliveira. That seems whack. seems absolutely whack to me. I think this is one of those ones that's like the entire, you know, the hardcore betting community, one guy kind of jumps on it and then everyone kind of piles on. I think this is like a, a, a super overreaction to someone who hasn't quite proven it at the top level. And it's like I don't think Davey Grant is a top. I don't think he's a top 10 guy particularly. He's definitely not top five. Maybe f- factors in close to the top 10 but it's like he's definitely an absolute gatekeeper in this division and plus 120 i think it's dogger pass here davy grant will be my pick here all right moving on down we got danny roberts taking on johnny parsons minus 120 for roberts plus 100 for parsons who do you like here bud
1: yeah, so you and I, we've been doing this show for a long time, man. And then we used to do this thing where I would just lose money on Danny Roberts all of the time. All of the time. I've lost money pretty much on all of his loss, Now his old losses. I thought he would kill Mike Perry. Mike Perry was a street fighter bum. Danny Roberts has got, like, tight combinations, man. Training out of what is now Kill Clef FC. Some great training partners. He had, was 2-0 in the UFC at the time. <clears throat> he had beat Jim Wallhead on the regional scene prior to getting signed. Man, Judo Jimmy. This was a solid prospect. Nah, Mike Perry just folds him up. Ah, fair enough. I bet him over Nordine Taleb. Nordine Taleb, Canadian guy. I know everything about him. And I know Danny Roberts is better. No, nah, no. Nah. Nordine Taleb goes out there, folds him up. Again, knockout. Claudio Silva, the biggest bub. The only guy that I will refuse to bet under any circumstance. I don't care who he's fighting. He's fighting me. I'm not betting Claudio Silva under any circumstance. Danny Roberts fights the worst fight of all time and loses to him. His fight with Michelle Pereira. Flying knee by some guy that would just run and do backflips and spam stupid crap. Yeah, no, Danny fell for that stupid crap. No, nobody really gets knocked out by Michelle Pereira anymore, for the record, because they figured it out. Not Danny. No, no, not Danny. Uh, In his last two fights, much of the same. You know, he gets killed by Jack Madeleine in his last time out. Before that, Francisco Trinaldo. You tried to warn me. You tried to warn me, Paul. And you know what? Francisco Trinaldo absolutely beat the crap out of him. So, like, what's there like with Danny Roberts? He's such a bust, and I always find myself betting him because he's talented. He's fast. He's got good striking. He's got decent footwork. Can't take a punch. But, I mean, again, trains with some of the best guys. Seems like he's got a lot of talent. Okay grappling. Cardio, good. Some fights awful most of the time, though. Why would you want to bet this guy? But Johnny Parsons just does not do it for me, Paul. He's just kind of that tough guy. The guy that shows up to the gym, Weekend warrior, shows up to the classes, gets beat up. As far as the regional scene goes, didn't look all that good. Made his pro debut in Thailand, staying there for a little bit, just living the life. Comes over to Las Vegas, trains again with good guys. But none of this is knocked out by David Gladun, 2018. He was 5-2. And then and he drops the unanimous decision to Chris Cisneros, who's a well-traveled veteran, but if you know, you know. Not very good. This is 2019. And then at some point, he just starts fighting low-level guys, but beats them. And it's exciting. And beating low-level guys in exciting fashion is good enough to get somebody on the contender series. 100%. So it does. He takes on Solomon Renfro. And early, he's not even in the same league as Solomon Renfro. Who's a busted prospect? But Solomon's very explosive and athletic. And the longer the fight goes, his gas tank just can't keep up with all that, you know, kinetic energy and those big movements. He tires out, still a close fight. You can definitely still score the fight for Solomon Renfro, and they give it to Parsons. He's like a hard-working blue-collar guy, but there's honestly nothing about his game that I find to be high-level, mid-level for the record. I don't think he should be in the UFC. I don't think. I don't think he'd win on the Contender Series if you put him back there. But to make things worse, that win over Renfro was like two years ago, like 21, 22 months ago or something. Since then, he's had a pile of injuries. He pulled out of a fight with Michael Gilmore. You'd have to have a broken leg to pull out of a fight with Michael Gilmore because you could beat him with one leg. You'd probably have to have two broken legs to pull out of a fight with Michael Gilmore, and yet he does. He's not all that young. He's 31 years old, which is I'm 31. It's not old. It's not young. But two years off, not being that good to begin with, he either comes back as a reinvigorated version, takes a first round beaten like Homer Simpson, and then Danny Roberts pulls a classic Danny Roberts and rolls over and dies, or Parson makes it happen. If this was any type of plus money on Parsons, maybe I'd be looking to take that fade on Danny simply because, you know Danny, Danny does it to himself and maybe a Homer Simpson-type game plan is all you need to get the victory over him. Possible, possible. But at even money, I got to go with the guy with the better skill that's been training, or at least been fighting more recently, and even though he's taken a lot more damage, he's got a speed advantage, he's got a a, a technique advantage, he's got a grappling advantage. He doesn't even have to stand and bang with this guy. Take him down and no grapple him if you need to. I feel like Danny Roberts gets the job done, but you know he's going to let me down one more time, right? You just know he's going to do it.
0: Yeah, I echo a lot of the same sentiments as me, or as you do. Um, Danny Hot Chocolate has never been a guy that I've really bet. I think he's very, very technically skilled, but the chin has always just been such a massive red flag. And a guy with the nickname Johnny Parsons, the Sluggernaut, is not somebody I necessarily want to step in front of. When you're talking about Johnny, or when you're talking about uh, Danny, Hot Chocolate Roberts, like I think he's super skilled. I think maybe some of him being a massive prospect was overrated. I'll still pick him because I, you know, I think he's got some serious skill advantages, size advantages, reach, technique. I mean, it's kind of put up or shut up. He loses to Johnny Parsons. It's like, here's your walking papers. You're on your way out the door at this point in his career. But um, I'll still pick him. But there is no way I, I can back him with my money, even though like this line would indicate. Like, I think he's a much more talented guy. I, I just don't. I don't want to back him. Parsons lands one big shot, and it's just like that's why you don't bet. Uh, Danny Roberts, like the chin has just always been a massive red flag. So hard for me to back him with my money. i I guess I'll pick him for the purposes of this show. All right, moving on down, we've got Joel Alvarez taking on Mark Gia Casey. Joel Alvarez a minus one ninety favorite. Dia Casey can be had for plus one sixty five. I backed uh, Joel Alvarez earlier in the week at minus one fifty two. Um, I think you know D one Dia Casey where do, he just didn't turn up. He didn't turn up against Michael Johnson. He showed up, and it's just like your path to victory here is taking down, uh, is taking down Michael Johnson. It's like I know Michael Johnson has a a bit of a, you know, a a collegiate background in wrestling, but it's like, you watch that fight, and it's like, Dia Casey didn't even try to wrestle him. He's just like, he just hung out and lost a kickboxing match uh, pretty handily. It wasn't even remotely close. That brings into, like, it makes me really, really question, like, his fight IQ while he's in there, but, like, I look at their skill sets, I look at their abilities, I think Dia Casey's major advantage in this fight would be maybe cardio, but it's like, he's not going to be able to go to wrestling to really bail himself out particularly early in the fight. I think he's just running in to a big time danger against uh, a really slick submission grappler in Joel Alvarez. And I think, you know, the, the volume, the tenacity early on in the fight, I think this is Alvarez's fight to lose. I like, I like him to get back on track here. Hence why I backed him at minus minus one fifty. as this market moves a little bit. It's like, I'm, you know, I, I, at minus two hundred, like I, I feel like a lot of the meat would be off the bone at this point. But uh, I jumped in a little bit earlier at minus one fifty two. Uh, who do you like here, bud? Casey when He first came to the. U-
1: UFC was like, man, he's the bone crusher. He scored a couple of nice knockouts. over you know, suspect competition, guys like Timu, comfortable in his striking. He's got nasty low kicks, does an excellent job of really shutting down that lead leg on his opponents, and he's got a really good, lengthy, quick, snappy jab. Sticks it in the face, you know, jab, 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 low kick, low kick, low kick, set up your t- your takedown. At some point, like, maybe around like the Nazareth hot cross fight, where he got Yeah, he got beat up in that fight. He got knocked down. He got soundly outstruck. Hit plenty of times and couldn't get his wrestling going. At that point, it was like, I'm not down to strike guys anymore. I almost exclusively want to wrestle. So when you say Mark D1D at Casey, because he's trying to wrestle all of these guys. But here's the thing. Vladislav Borshev, badass rushing name from Team Alpha Male, can't wrestle. That's his problem. And everybody knows it. He's Slava Claus. But he can't wrestle. You want to kickbox with this guy, good luck. He throws absolute absolutely murderous hooks from the hip side, but he, he just take down defense has never been there. So Casey takes him down 11 times. He looks really good there. Demir Hadzovic. well, everybody knows Demir Hadzovic, otherwise known as the Bosnian bomber. Everybody knows he can't wrestle. So looks good there, takes him down. Michael Johnson is the next logical step because he's a bigger name. He's a better fighter. He's got a little bit of veteran status, and he also fits the description of a guy who can't really wrestle. Yeah, he wrestled in junior college 15 years ago, 20 years ago, but you know, them days is long gone. And that he went over six. Now, I know what you're saying, he didn't even attempt anything because I agree with you. Well, wasn't even really trying to force the issue. So, Waddy stuff's the first one, stay on him, chain wrestle. Press him up against the cage. He just so looked so so you know half-hearted. And then the striking exchanges—he's not biting down on anything. He's not—he's not throwing with ill intent. He's just kind of going through the motions. So a guy like Michael Johnson's a fighter's fighter. He's going to come forward. He's going to sling with you. Judges are going to respect that. This is a fight, you know, in the UK. Mark Casey. Could go good for him if he can just hold him down, win a couple spots. But I think judges at the end of the day are looking for damage. That's the number one thing on the criteria, damage. Joel Alvarez will give him that damage. Now, when I say it doesn't really look like he's looking to engage and he's looking to wrestle a lot lately, look at his losses, okay? Michael Johnson doesn't want to engage him, gets beat up. Rafael Alvarez fight. Alves just you know, got the pounce on him, hurt him early, jumps on this guillotine choke, puts him away. His fight with Nazareth Hakparaz, he got beat up. He got knocked down. His fight with Dan Hooker, he gives up the third round submission, again, by guillotine choke. So you know he's got a problem with sticking his neck out. Cardio's not great. His wrestling looks good. He looks like D1 to you, Casey, against guys that are, you you know, high school wrestlers, maybe. He's a D1 wrestler against them, but like, you know, the realistic nature of it is he's D3D at KC at best. And when he takes on these guys, they're going to give him problems. Now, Joel Alvarez, not a great wrestler. You can look through a lot of his fights. Joe Duffy takes him down and then gets smitted. Den- uh, Danilo Belluardo took him down twice early, then tired out and got beat up. You guys can take him down. Taking on defense is not great. What he does have for him, though, is a nasty submission game. Loves to attack the neck. Loves the guillotine choke, loves the triangle choke, and as far as the stand-up goes, you saw in the Thiago Moises fight throwing those elbows in close quarters, right? He's a nasty striker. He's looking to hurt you. He's got ill intent, and even though he fights about once a year, I had one fight in 2021, one fight in 2022. This will be his one, probably the only fight of 2023. The inactivity I don't love. He's still only like 29 years old. Trains with good guys. I think he's got not necessarily the striking advantage because low kicks and jabs, I don't win you a fight, but he's at the power advantage. He fights better inside the pocket. And I feel like the fight does hit the ground, which if Dia Casey wants it on the ground, probably gets it to the ground. Probably. Couldn't take Michael Johnson down in six attempts. Probably takes down Joel Alvarez. The difference is Michael Johnson on his back. <laughs> Joel Alvarez on his back. Problem, problem. There's no taking him down and getting a rest. There's taking him down and you're you're right into the buzzsaw. So, mm-hmm. The judge's reward activity, the guy that's fighting for it, the the guy that's landing the more damaging, powerful blows, I think that he's going to have that advantage standing, and I think he's going to be fishing for submissions on the ground. And I honestly feel like Casey at some point leaves his neck into something too far, gets caught probably in a guillotine choke. So uh, that's been his nemesis. Joel Alvarez has got a nasty one. Hopefully it comes to fruition. So I would take Joel Alvarez. I can see this being a boy, a boring points decision. And at that point, what I would suggest is maybe look at it from the live betting perspective. I think Alvarez takes him out under one and a half. But if Diacasey just holds him down for the first round, in the second round, Alvarez it doesn't look like he's going to land that money shot. His submission game is not as good as we thought it was. Maybe pull the shoot. Maybe pull the shoot. But my gut tells me uh, Alvarez will come back as a good version. And dKC seems like a good athlete, not necessarily the, the best fighter.
0: Yeah uh Alvarez submission is like plus 125 is the best on market it's like
1: I'd want better than that for a submission I definitely
0: prop. want better than that yeah. for a submission prop I'm happy I jumped in on the money line early in the week um moving on down we got Jamal Pogues taking on Mick Parkin Pogues a minus 160 favorite parking could be had for plus 140 well, you got you got some thoughts on this low level heavyweight banger
1: No, not really. Like, honestly, at first, I was like, this is a dogger pass. The name of the show is Dogger Pass, and this is it, dude. We talked about middling heavyweights at the top of the show, but those are actually good heavyweights, and still anything can happen. This is middling heavyweights. Jamal Pogues is not actually a heavyweight. You've seen him fight on the Contender Series at 205 pounds. He's filling into his frame like a Carl Williams, maybe, but at the end of the day, these bigger, menacing heavyweights will give him problems, and when you look at Mick, well, he's exactly that. Mick Parkins, six foot four, two hundred and sixty pounds. Like he is actually a big boy. So plus money, I'm getting the much larger man. He likes to finish, he likes to finish early. So someone that might go out and fight for your dollar, but but he fights cans. So it's hard to say how good is his finishing ability. Like Paul, these these wins, bro. One in ten. One in ten. His next fight, the guy's two and seventeen. How do you how do you even find them? And then he gets a two and three. And a seven and seven, and a six and nine, and it's like okay, they're building him up towards the contender series where he's unproven. He's not fought anybody. He gets a five and zero, oh, also kind of a can crushing bum at this Eduardo Nevis, and he got outstruck pretty handedly. Uh, well, the fight lasts two minutes, but he's getting outstruck. They both land takedowns. They're both scrambling. It's a fun two-minute fight, and he submits them, so good for him. It looked like his grappling was decent, especially moves well for a big man, but man... He's kind of like out of his out of his depth here. He needs experience. He needs to fight for a regional scene that'll give him steadily better guys. Fight some Bellator veterans. Fight some th- some some UFC castaways, and then jump onto a bigger set. Instead, he won a fight in two minutes, and it was pretty thrilling. And Dana White signs him to a contract, and now he's in the UFC. So as much as I think at plus one forty, he is live. I just like can't get back. I can't get to it because Jamal Pogue's got a much better top game. I feel. Um, And it's just, he's, he's fought in rounds. He's fought in better guys. He's fought in, uh, he's fought on the Contender Series twice for the record. Won both of them. But his fight with Brigadão goes to decision. Comes back, he fights uh, Hanato, Paulo Hanato Jr. Fight goes to decision. He's been the decision with Trey Hiley. Went to decision with Josh Parisian. Awful fight to watch got him down five times scored five takedowns but just lay and prayed him and so that's why i was tempted on the dogger pass side of things because laying praying could get you the win laying praying also might not anybody watch that mo miller fight from fury fc on the sunday like he won all three rounds in terms of i took him down in all three rounds I spent top control in all three rounds. But, like, they want to see you do ground and pound. They want to see punishment. They want to see submission attempts. It's not enough to just lie on a guy. Uh, Basil Hafez gave it one hell of a go on last week's card. No doubt about it. But he did not win the second round. Because even though he had 90 seconds of top control to end that round, there was no ground and pound. There was no submission attempts. There was passing guard. Yeah, okay, he's passing guards. Not a jiu-jitsu tournament. You got to do something with it. So, if Pogues just holds him down... Maybe Mick can win. But if Pogue just holds him down, I don't even know that Mick can fight for more than five minutes. Paul. I, I have no idea. Do we think this guy's got cardio? Do we think this guy can go? Because it's all assumptions. It's all stuff that you might have heard hearsay, she, she hearsay from uh, the gym, you know, gym talk. But till I see him fight a hard two, three rounds, I can't get behind it. Pogue's, meanwhile, he has been there. he done that. He's super low of volume, but he's got a, probably a better wrestling game. Probably takes him down. Probably sets up some top control, tires him out. The second round, it's a little bit easier. The third round, if it gets that far, would be a little bit easier. And ultimately, he wins. So something I did start off as an underdog pick, I ended up just going towards Jamal Pogues, who I think has got a lot more experience, is the better fighter. And when you say not really a heavyweight, he came in at 250 his last fight. So, you know, probably better at 205, but then days is over. He's 250, uh, 250 pounds now.
0: Yeah, I don't think I actually said not really a heavyweight at all, um, if you were saying it that way, because I actually didn't even actually talk about the fight. Um, but I guess in fair, yeah, he was 205 pounds before, but he came in pretty heavy last time out. Um, and yeah, those, some of those opponents that Mick Parkin took on kind of flares. I was just going through topology right now. Thomas Velikis is wearing like a green shirt in his profile. Like it's a real like horrible green shirt. Green shirt that he 's wearing, like really low quality, like off of you you buy it at the the local value village type of thing, um, so that was kind of hilarious and then Jan Lysak, who was two and seventeen at the time, well he 's lost eleven straight fights since then now he 's two and twenty eight so yeah, Mick Parkin has really fought nobody outside of his contender series fight we don 't really know if he can fight outside. Of uh, the first five minutes. So, I mean, if people are playing, like, daily fantasy sports or something like that, y- you usually want access to, like, somebody who could get a first-round finish. So, like, Mick Parkin wouldn't make a bad play in that type of format, but from, like, a betting perspective, it's like, I think it's it's Pogues pretty clearly here. At least, at least he's shown us a heck of a lot more against way higher yeah. competition over the course of time, like... If, if Parkin is the real deal, I suppose we'll have at least a, a sneak peek into it. Um, because if he's, yeah, if he's half, if he's, if he's legit, if he's got cardio, it's like Pogue seems like a very, very, uh, decent way for us to find out what we're dealing with here until we find that out. It's really, really hard, like, going through his previous fights and looking at the previous opponents to really know, to make any sense of what this guy's all about. So, I'm with it. Jamal Pogues is the pick. All right, moving on down, we got Mahmoud Muradov taking on Brian Barbarina. Minus two minus 350 for Muradov, plus 285 for Barberina. Originally, I kind of thought, I was just like, is this at 170? And it is not at 170. This is middleweight. So we got Barbarina, who used to fight at 155, went up to 170. We used to always talk about him as being a little bit undersized in that division. Um, now he's moving up to 185. So I think the, the line, because it's pretty wide, my, my initial thought was like looking at it just being like, I mean, if this is at 170, I question Macklin Muradov's ability to make 170 would have been a big red flag for me there and at this price I would have been backing Barbarina who I mean frankly put on a hell of a performance against Robbie Lawler at the very least um obviously his his takedown defense has always been very very questionable yada 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 at 185 though it's like what's Brian Barbarina doing at 185 it's like I thought 170 was a bit of a stretch for his frame it's like uh, I can understand why Muradov is the big favorite here. He's going to be way bigger, way stronger uh, than than Barbarina. He hasn't really historically used any sort of wrestling whatsoever, but it's like everybody who tries to take Brian Barbarina down is able to take him down against like a volume puncher like him. I wouldn't be surprised if Macklin Muradov comes out here and uses a little bit. There's not much like jujitsu threat from Barbarina. And in terms of, like, the quality strikes, it's like, yeah, it's a volume game versus a power and precision game here. Brian Barbarina is live if he can extend this into the third round, but I don't like him moving up to 185 whatsoever. So I can understand why Muradov is the big favorite here. I mean, if you have some money that you never want to see again, like a Brian Barberino round three prop. If you're like, if you're about that life, if you're just like, I'm gonna throw this away. I expect it to lose and never come back. I don't hate that. Maybe that's how I get some exposure to this fight. But Muradov is the straight pick for me. What about you?
1: Yeah, I got to go with Muradov as well. I'm just looking at what's the KO prob for Muradov, just out of curiosity. Plus 165. Yeah, not really that good. Um, Yeah, I got to go with Makamu and Muradov. Minus 350 I don't like just because you know that there's a dog in Brian Barbarina. You know that he's going to fight hard. You know that he's going to come after you. But middleweight Brian Barbarina, I just can't. Get my head around it. Now, keep in mind, he's actually been as high as 220 in his personal life. So, like, he can balloon up, but just doesn't have the frame for it. He's dealt with a lot of back issues. Of course, the wars that he's been in, it's been tough on the body. The weight cuts have been tough on the body. And so, 155, which is his natural weight class, which is where he should be, not doable. At 170, n- not that big of a guy. Still not that big of a guy. But the UFC does him a favor. Let's book him against Matt Brown. Let's book him against Robbie Lawler. Let's book him against some older Walter welterweights who are not these monster guys who are young that are going to put a beating on him. He has fun fights with them. Uh, Matt Brown, was an argument. Matt Brown beat him, took him down five times. And Robbie, Robbie won the first round against him. But then, you know, <laughs> Brian came on like an absolute bandit in the second round and put him away. So again, you're going to have that fight in him. You're going to have that junkyard dog. I'm just not really seeing it in this particular matchup. Uh, you mentioned it. Everybody that wants to take Brian Barbarino do- does, right? If it's Phil Ivy. Uh, sorry, Anthony Ivy, not Phil with the poker player. But b- basically even lower-level competition guys, lower-level guys will take him down. His chin, rock solid. But you've seen him take a beating against Vincente Luque and then get knocked out in the third. Very next fight against Randy Brown, his chin looked gone. His fight with Jason Witt, he got dropped. These guys are all 55ers. These guys are all welterweights. Makhman Muradov has a decent amount of power. Now, fighting on 185... He cracks hard. One thing about Brian Barberena is win or lose. He's going to take a beating because that's just how he fights. And I don't know that you can take these beatings the higher you go up the weight classes. So... Could be a live Muradov by KO, but even if Muradov doesn't knock him out, I think he just splices in the wrestling, right? I think his striking is good enough to keep Brian barbarian at bay, Uses his jab, uses his right hand. If Brian starts to gain some momentum, if Brian starts to put two, three, four, five punch combinations together, causes you to fight off your back foot, engages you in the pocket, which is what he loves to do, then mix in the takedown. Take that away from him. Derail him a little bit. So I think he can... Fight a full game plan and just win a decision by striking a little bit and wrestling a little bit. I think he can wait for his openings to let Brian walk in himself into a punch and then hurt him and then pounce and put the, put him away. Minus 350 again doesn't seem great, but Muradov has advantages everywhere. And that much size gives those advantages that much of an extra boost that it's going to take, honestly, a Herculean effort out of Brian Barbraina to do it. If anybody can do it, maybe it's old Bam Bam. I'm just thinking, you know, old father Time's starting to catch up with him. Not because of his age per se, but because of his fight style. The injuries have just racked up and clearly he can't grapple. They tried him against Rafael uh, Dos Anjos, not even competitive, submitted very easily. They tried him against Gunnar Nelson, not even competitive, submitted rather easily. Now they're trying to give him a guy that'll probably stand with him, probably give him a showing. But Muradov, I think he knows better than just fight that stupid kind of game plan. So... Mix in the wrestling, do what needs to be done, and get the job. Or right, get, get, get the victory, get the job done, pick up the win.
0: Yeah, Katlin Vieira taking on Panny Kianzad. Ketlin Vieira is a minus 140 favorite. Kianzad can be had for plus 120. Who you got here?
1: Not enough juice, I think, for uh, Penny Kianzad. Like, even though, again, she's got probably a, a slight striking advantage, someone who who comes from a decent enough pedigree, maybe she can hustle you up one. Maybe Pat would be interested in taking a plus-money flyer there. But Kellen Vieira, at her best, can go out and get some solid wins. Misha Tate, Holly Holm, she's fighting the upper echelon of the division and beating them. Close fights. Her fight with Raquel Pennington last time out. Split decision loss to a former title contender. In a very close and competitive fight but her style is just so awful to watch that any subjective judge sitting ringside might just be like yeah not enough for me and so she's going to be in these close tight decisions that's why this line fairly competitive that's why pat takes the plus money and 50 percent of the time he seems to come out with a plus money hit on it so I could understand going the other way with Ketlin Veer, but what I would say is that she has had some remark, not remarkable, but she has some noticeable improvements in her overall boxing game. I think that'll play key here, but it's the grappling. She's big. She's strong. She's physical. She loves to spend time in, in, uh, in the clinch. Penny Kianza, meanwhile, that's where she's going to be at her weakest. She's not a great grappler. She's not a good defensive wrestler, but she just tends to fall into the clinch a lot. If you look at her last two fights versus, uh, Sorry, last time I was against Lena Landsberg. It's like, again, until the third round where she found some separation, she was basically just playing in the clinch the entire time. Never moved her feet, never got out of the way. It's like you're just fighting to your opponent's level, and it wasn't a great fight. The fight prior versus Raquel Pennington, much of the same, right? Fights are inside the clinch. If she can stay to the outside, then I think she has a chance of just putting up the superior volume, making it more of a fight. But I think Ketlin Vieira is going to box her up find her way into the tight quarters and then eventually just lean on her in the grappling. If she can take her down, great. If she can't, she'll just use some cage control and uh, rack up some, some control time. Probably win the decision. Could it be close? Could it be competitive? Could be a split? Yeah, sure. This is Ketlin Vier we're talking about, but again, she's fought a much better level of competition, Shows some improvements. And I think this is a drop down for her. Whereas Penny kind of been struggling and it's a similar style and now has to go and reinvent herself. She hasn't done it yet. Don't know that she does it here. So the pick would be Ketlin Vieira for me.
0: Yeah, you know I'm all about the CF dot model, but this ain't it. And, like, frankly, like I think they... I mean, they originally opened this line at, like, plus 325. It shot up to plus 220 pretty much immediately. I think there's a lot of pile-on culture going on here. Like, a lot of different tout services and stuff. Like, maybe taking a shot on panty Kianza. It's like, the girl got knocked down in round two against Lena Landsberg. It's like, that's a pretty tough look, particularly when you're taking on somebody like Ketlin Vieira, who has been fighting the elite of this division. So I'm with you. It's uh, minus 140 seems pretty fair for for Vieira. Sure, it could go. I mean, any fight could be pretty close, go to decision. And, you know, the judges that we're dealing with half the time here, Who knows what they're seeing and how they're going to score it, but minus 140 for Ketlin Vieira seems pretty fair. I think she's going to have a pretty decent grappling advantage here. Um, And, yeah, on the feet, like maybe panties a little bit more crisp, a little bit quicker, but – I think she's giving up some muscle, so yeah, I think it's uh it's pretty clearly Vieira or pass as far as I'm concerned. All right, moving on down, we've got Chris Duncan taking on Yannel Ashmos minus one forty for Duncan plus one twenty for Ashmos. Your thoughts
1: I know what you're thinking. you're thinking, man, this guy's talked about twelve fights at this point, and he's taking eleven favorites in one even money pick. What a beat. Well, I'm gonna take another dog right here. We're taking Yanal Ashmuz for no other reason than the kid can pack a punch, man. And he's very aggressive. You kind of gave me a heads up. At least you tried to give me a heads up. We broke down his last fight. And I like Sam Patterson. I like Sam Patterson a lot. He's fought in legitimate guys in the brave CF scene. He's a good fighter and he is a monster at six foot three for this weight class. Long ass reach. Should be in the UFC a while ago and is making his debut at a decent price. And Paul tells me, he says, I don't know, man, this, you know, Ashmoos kid looks like he absolutely swings on PFL challenger series, Leaves something to be desired, but the kick and wrestle and he throws down, man, he's got some heat in his hands. All right, Paul, whatever. And he absolutely destroys Sam Patterson like nothing. Now I lost a lot of money there because I was all over Sam Patterson, but all the same, if the kid's got some good power in his hands and he's willing to go out there and engage, uh, he's going to win as a plus money guy here and there when he takes on guys who may be a little bit suspect in the durable in the durability department. Sam Patterson was a little more untested. Big, tall guy, stands upright, beating guys on the regional scene. Now it's his UFC debut, bright lights on you. He got clipped. Duncan? Duncan reminds me of the same thing. Um, we saw him on the Contender Series when he debuted against Vlacheslav Borshev, Slava Claus, And He didn't look that good. He was billed as an undefeated pro, coming over from the UK, solid grappling skills, solid kickboxing skills, but what you actually got is a guy that's pretty stiff and rigid and not all that fast. So he's there to get hit. All of a sudden, you watch some regional shows tape on him and he gets hit lots and he's been rocked a few times and Borshev, of course, Borshev does what he does. There was a murderous hook, puts him away. Since then, he's picked up a couple of wins on the regional scene, made his debut eventually against Omar Morales and took a split decision there where he wrestled a lot more, but... He looks slow to me and it looks like his wrestling is just okay. I would say Ashmoons has a wrestling advantage and Ashmoons has a power advantage. Technical kickboxing, yeah, okay, Chris Duncan's probably a better technical kickboxer. But again, durability's not that good. Been rocked a few times, been whiffed a few times, and this kid just knocked out Sam Patterson and now you're going to give him plus money again? Well, this is, on paper, certainly a much easier fight than Sam Patterson was. I think there's a good chance he could go out there and do it again. So, yeah, it's 15 fights ain't 15 favorites are gonna hit there's gonna be some dogs here and there it's the kids like ash moves i've got good power decent enough wrestling he's undefeated uh, yeah he's going into enemy territory what does that really matter it's an early prelim that starts at like for our time like noon for them i don't know what would that be what's the time difference four hours six hours four or five hours i mean me and you are care. in different
0: four. time zones bro so it's four yeah, hours that's true. It's four that's hours true. for me it's uh five hours for you
1: Five hours to, uh, <laughs> um, to Greenwich Mean Time. The Greenwich Mean Time, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, 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 I would say I'm willing to take an underdog flyer here. So, Samium for Yanal you know, Ashmuz, and win condition would be by knockout.
0: Total agreement. Total agreement. I, I, I see action coming in on Chris Duncan. It's just like you know what the road to the road to financial insolvency is paved with Scottish wrestlers, and a lot of people are going to talk about. Oh, he's training at ATT now with a whole big crop of guys. It's just like, he's the warm body who probably gets absolutely smashed. Like, you need guys there who are, he's learning a lot by being around those guys. But like, just because he's training with Dustin Poirier and, and so on and so forth, doesn't mean he's competing um, at a high level with them. It's uh, For instance, it's like Cyril gone was training all the time with, what's the, the low-level heavyweights? Uh, Bodeau, oh, like Alain yeah, Bodeau. Yeah, Alan Bodeau. <laughs> I'm sure he learned. Alan Bodeau learned a lot by being around Francis Ngannou and Cyril Gom. but he still stinks. Um, I thought, like, his wrestling performance against Morales, I was on Morales, so egg on my face. I really didn't see the wrestling clinic coming in, but um, I really didn't see that. So it's like props to him, made massive improvements there. But, yeah, Borshev absolutely knocked this guy out of his skull on Contender Series. I was kind of surprised. It was kind of them going back to this part of the world that got him into the UFC. And, yeah, you know, Ashmos can crack, and he's the underdog here. Um, Him plus 120, don't mind it. Him, like, there's some, like, some of the props seem, like, extra spicy, too. It's, like, him in him in round one is, like, plus 550. Him by round one KO. It's early in the week. Like, they haven't, like, not all books have, like, offered it yet, but there's, like, plus 800s down on that. Like, I don't get it. Like, if if he comes out and is able to, you know, dominate in the wrestling again, good on him. Uh, egg on my face, I, I'll take my losses, but... I don't understand the chalk whatsoever on Chris Duncan. So, yeah, it's Yenel you know, Ashmo's for me as well. Uh, moving on down, we've got Br- Bruna Brazil taking on Shauna Bannon. Minus 150 for Brazil, plus 130 for Bannon.
1: Who you got? I know what you're thinking. This guy's talked about 13 fights. He's picked 100. How's about a second for you here? We're going to go with Mama B, Bannon. Uh, basically, this comes down to, like, it, it's hard with Bruna Brazil because her last fight. Um, turns out Denise Gomes is pretty good, right? So, yeah, getting backed up by Denise Gomes and taking her shots would certainly be, like, a lot different. I'll tell you what I didn't like in that fight, Paul, is that she fights pretty much exclusively off her back foot. She looked pretty hesitant. She doesn't want to engage Denise Gomes, which is fair, because obviously she packs a hell of a punch, but she fights with her hands low, like, real low, and everything that Gomes throws is landing, and it's landing hard, and, like, she has no ability to really switch up the game plan not moving not putting her hands up not really getting out of the way she just proceeds to just keep moving back keep moving back keep moving back and then eventually gets put away so i don't really necessarily love what i see out of her and and with shauna bannon shauna bannon uh you know a decent enough amateur she was uh nine and three as an amateur bought some good fighters decent enough Turns pro. She's only got five fights as a pro. But this last one, I I worked it for Fight Network against Mina Grusander. Not great, but this girl's hyperactive, like in your face. She's got a bit of a judo background. She's got good top control. And I think she can mix in some wrestling as well. I think she's got multiple paths. If she wants to be the aggressor, which she normally is, I see her coming forward and just outlanding continuously pushing back bruna brazil who again doesn't fight particularly good off her back foot but with her hands that low and not much of a reactionary fighter i think she's just there to get hit but i think as well she has a wrestling advantage and possibly you know good top control advantage that uh, she can ground her ground her accrue some top control time and just grease this thing out so i plus money this would be a a, this would be a dog or pass situation for me and this is where i would apply pat's model anyways but i think banning can go out there and Mix in some takedowns and just use that that in your face aggressive nature. Win two of the three rounds and then squeak this thing by. Then if you look at the fact that it's in the UK, I think there's a lot of things going her way. So 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 I, sign me up for Mama B to get the job done. I'm a fan of her work and hopefully she can go out there and secure her uh, her first UFC win in her debut.
0: Yeah, it's in London. She's Irish. They hate each other. I wouldn't factor nah, that in. it's the fans. You're the talking fans. to...
1: You think they're going to boo her? You think they're going to boo her? now? You're talking to O'Shaughnessy. So a you're, a you're talking support.
0: to O'Shaughnessy here. It's like, bud, when my family came over here, we had to drop the O. We were O'Shaughnessy. That's how like you pronounce your name. We had to drop the O so these, so these Limeys over here, the British, would give us jobs. So, uh... I don't know if you you being Irish. Like, there's going to be some fans in the crowd, and it's going to probably be pretty empty because it's early in the card. Don't get me wrong. But, um, I mean, I actually had already bet Bruno Brazil at minus 120 earlier in the week, so I'll make this a shooey bet on top of that. I wasn't impressed by what I saw. I watched Sean Abandon's last couple fights on Invicta as well. And I think Denise Gomes, as we kind of saw in the War Ugy fight, and frankly, yeah, like most of her run here in the UFC. I think she's super, super underrated. I think that was a tough yeah, fight. She got some power. <laughs> yeah, I bet her like the last two times. And yeah, I, I, I think that she's just kind of been perpetually underrated in the UFC. I think this is a bounce back spot for Bruna Brazil. So I, I'm willing to, uh, we haven't made a shoey bet yet. And I don't think we're going to make it on Jafel F- Filio versus Daniel Barres. And I wouldn't want to have to try to call you a coward but uh, if you turned it down, considering I took Chelsea Chandler last week, I mean, people in the comment section may they may end up at that as a final, uh, you know, final thought a final destination. If you turned down, it sounded like uh, what was the nickname? The little cute nickname that you kept talking about with Sean Mama Banny? B. Mama B. It sounds like you are all about Mama B. So, like, why don't we make I'll this take it. a shoey bet? Boom. All right, uh, yeah, I just think better technical striker in Bruno Brazil. But as the market moves, I don't like it nearly as much. It wasn't even a, that big of a bet, but now now it's personal. Now it's personal. Oh, now
1: it's the biggest bet on the card. No, not really, but you know what I'm only, saying. Yeah. It's personal. It's, it's the boy. only
0: one that matters based on, like, my comments on, like, Twitter. Is like, if I lose a shoey bet, I'm hearing about it. Um, It is what it is. It's it's hilarious. I enjoy it. Uh, Moving on down to the curtain jerker. We got Jafel Filio taking on Daniel Barres. Minus 120 for Filio. Plus 100 for Barres. I'm not going to lie, Cody. 15 fights on this card. I need to hear your take on this one. Because I have given this fight, outside of making the graphic, which is up on the screen right now, I've given it pretty much no thought. I, I haven't looked into it yet. I don't even have a pick. I'm probably just gonna say whatever you pick as my official pick. Who you got?
1: Yeah. Well, luck- luckily for you, we're taking underdog number three. And uh, yeah, Daniel Barres. Here's what I like about him. So he debuts in the Contender Series, and prior to that, it looked like he's just a first round guy. He goes out there, he's powerful for the first round, maybe fades off. All of his losses, you uh the when it goes to decision, or he's given up a couple like third round submissions and whatnot uh debuts against Carlos hernandez which is on the contender series and he's a minus 120 favorite now i do the research on carlos hernandez a guy that i still bet to this day in the ufc because he's super underrated has legitimate skills and is getting better and better i got a good size bet on carlos hernandez daniel Barres put a beating on him in the first round. This guy is a wild man. I mean, sits down on all of his punches, throws big, big hooks from the hip side, very big power puncher, and just a massive takedown game. I knew nothing about He scored five takedowns in the fight, did a hell of a job. Second round, he's not slowing down as fast as I thought he would be. He keeps throwing. Hernandez works his way back into it. It's a super close second round, but I felt like Hernandez edged it, and then the third round, Hernandez wins the round. Not clean, but but, but wins the round. I got it scored for Hernandez, but this is a, a close, close fight, and boom. They give my guy the split decision. Barres loses. I almost thought Dana would be like, remember how he did it with Stefan Bonner, Forrest Griffin? Like, I'm giving them both a contract. Like, why would you not want this guy on your roster? He is a shit-eating wild man who throws murderous power punches, and, and apparently Russell is going to give you his damnedest effort. Who cares if you lost? Bring him in. And they mostly do bring in a lot of contender series losers. But with Barres, they actually made him go back to the regional scene. The results, a four-fight-winning streak, in which he's finished all four opponents in the first round. Not the worst level of talent, but not the best. 10 and 9, 7 and 9, 6 and 9, 14 and 12. Like, not, not great. Not great. What he can do is this guy can give you one hell of a go for a round and a half. Now, that makes him somewhat appealing as an underdog for two reasons. Reason number one, he's one of these guys that could potentially knock you out. He's got big, big power. He's got a decent submission game, and he's going to come at you. So when you're betting those crazy type fighters, those aggressive, ultra-aggressive type fighters with tons of defensive lapses in the game, sure. But still, they've got a lot of powerful offense at plus money, punches chance, and they got a lot of puncher's chance. Sure, why not? But thing number two, he can maybe win enough of the second round to have a, a, a two judges say he's up two rounds. And in the second round, all he'd have to do is survive. Now, Jafel Fido, I wasn't big up on this guy coming into his fight with Makayev, but what did he do against Makayev? He loses the first two rounds, throws up a couple submissions, is mostly getting beat up. And then the third round, he snaps on a nasty knee bar and shreds the kid's knee, and the kid just refuses to tap. And so Makayev then comes over on top of him with only one neck now leg functioning, Paul, and proceeds to submit to Fio. <laughs> what a reverse of fortunes, but I don't really love what I see out of him. He's mostly a first round guy himself. As you'll see, he fought, uh, let's say, of his last six fights. Okay, First round knockout, first round knockout, second round ground and pound, first round submission, third round finish on the contender series against Roybert uh, uh, Escavera. Not a bad fight for the record. And then he loses to Micaio. If he got brought in to lose to a 20-year-old kid, he dropped the first two rounds. He locked up a nasty submission in the third round and almost put the kid away, but didn't, and then and then gave up a submission. Like, whatever. That's MMA. Shit happens. But I'm not super high on him. I would think Barrez is a lot physically stronger. Barrez has got better takedowns. I think he could take him down. And he's got Better striking. It's the cardio that makes me worried. This guy's almost breaking your leg in the third round. Eh, chances are, you know, he's he's gonna pace himself out. He shows a lot of early finishes on the regional show, but he's probably got a better he's probably got better cardio than Barros, who you know is probably going to gas out after two and two ish, you know, round and a half, two rounds. Well, for plus money, dude, I'm willing to take him. He's going to fight for my dollar. He's going to throw down. It's his UFC debut. He's 34 years old, so he's got absolutely nothing to lose. But at the same time, he's not some young prospect who's going to you know, suffer from stage fright. He's fought in Vegas before. He's fought in front of Dana before. This is the very first fight on the card. As you said, basically going to be nobody there. And he's from Spain, so he's used to fighting in Europe. I think he goes down, he throws down. And for the slight plus money that I'm going to get out of him, I'm willing to take a shot there. Sold.
0: Barres for me as well um all right we're just out of, about out of time here cody hit him with the prp
1: yeah so again it's definitely favorite heavy but a lot of these what you'll see on this card is there's not these huge runaway favorites there is a main event and we'll start there tom aspin 500 but molly mccann minus 225 not a bad price tag um nathaniel wood andre muniz faraz i larone murphy uh Daniel Marcos, that was the pick on the show. I'm going to stick with it. Davey Grant could be a viable underdog. Paul's not wrong. I think he said he was going to take the dog shot there. I, I wouldn't fault it, especially if you're taking so many favorites. You need a few dogs. He's got an okay shot. I'm going to go with Danny Roberts, which is even money. Joel Alvarez, Jamal Pogues, Makman Muradov, Ketlin Vieira, uh, Yanal Ashmuz. dog number one, Sean Abandon, dog number two, Daniel Barres, dog number three. And I believe... Nine years we've been doing this show, that would be the longest PRP of all times. So we ever 15 fights. It felt like a, a job just reading out the pictures right then and there. So, I don't know, man. It's a long card this week. Some books won't even accept 15-fight parlay. So, I don't know what book you use, but keep that in mind. And Yeah, maybe sometimes less is more. But, yeah, hit three lines last week with the hedge out. So, you have to give some, unfortunately, back to the book. This week, I'd like to make it a little bit cleaner if we could. But, yeah, two or three lines, I'd be happy with that. Fifteen fights to choose from. Now it's on me to put the right combinations together, Paul.
0: Yeah, fifteen out of fifteen seems pretty tough. I'll do it. Tough but yeah, on this odds
1: obviously fight. stacked against me. I can. There's
0: a lot of close that. fights, and there's a lot of fights that, like, even though we're making picks and stuff, it's like I can see the argument for a lot of the other sides in a lot of these fights. Don't get me wrong um over on- I, will,
1: I will have you know i will have you know that i've i've hit two 15 fight uh prps in my life but never on a ufc card like it's got to be a weekend where it's ufc bellator pfl and you scrape the best of the best from three cards and put it together on this card you're forced to take action on shit that you otherwise would take action on but to do because you're degenerate so when it does hit it'll be great but yeah yeah you gotta have some type of expectation at least yeah
0: all right um and finally yeah there's the the prize picks that i've selected over the course of this show that have my attention i think my favorite one is nathaniel wood more than 76.5 significant strikes i mean a finish is obviously in play but um if this goes the full three rounds wood should cruise over 76.5 significant strikes uh, Mooney's over 1.5 takedowns, Duncan under 41.5. I mean, like last time out, he got like 53. That was a, th- uh, three round decision win where he used a lot of wrestling. I think he's taking a canvas snap. Uh, so 41 and a half. I'm willing to gamble there. Bruno Brazil, more than 45.5 significant strikes and Murdov more than 1.5 takedowns. Those are my favorites. Um, Kind of in order. It's like the Nathaniel Wood is my favorite one. Uh, For people who are like, oh, you guys don't, you know, give enough picks. Those are five. Do with it what you will. Listen to the whole podcast and, like, make your own picks as well. Promo code DLP. But, uh, yeah, (laughs) that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck.